Good morning, church. My name's Jerry. Here at Cooper's Plains Evangelical, we believe that God speaks to us through his word, the Bible. Last week, we commenced our series on rest for the weary, um, and today we'll be opening up Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is the first book of the Bible and the Old Testament, and an account of the creation of the world. If you are new today and you haven't got a physical Bible, feel free to go to the back next to the AV desk and there will be free NIV Bibles for you to open up. So please open with me, Genesis chapter 3. That is Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis chapter 3, starting from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it and all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it, you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God had made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove out the man out and placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. All right, thanks, Jerry, and good morning, everyone. It is so good to be uh, tackling this topic with you. Uh, I've been really excited, actually, to dig into this series for a while now, and, uh, you know, just judging by some of the discussions that were going on there, um, I think we're all feeling that this is going to be just a a really relevant uh, topic and series for us to be doing together. Um, But, hey, uh, before we get stuck into Genesis chapter 3, which Jerry's just read out for us this morning, uh, I wanted to kind of give you a heads up that there's actually more than just our Sunday sermon talks for this series. Uh, You know, one of the things that I've worked out over my time uh, in my ministry career is that a Sunday sermon every single week will not on its own grow you, okay? Will not on its own grow you. So uh, one of the things we thought we'd do, particularly with a series like this, which is so practical and so, uh, so kind of readily able for us to just shape our lives around, is that we thought we'd actually run a few different things, uh, a few different ways to kind of resource and to grow you during the course of uh, this series. Now, the first one is our bookstore, our bookstore, okay? So we've... Uh, uh, I know Dennis has kind of flagged a little bit about this already. Uh, if you want to look up the books that are on our bookstore, uh, look it up on our, our Dig Deeper page. You can see the URL up there. Um, now, we've got a whole bunch of books that are all related to our series on rest, and I'm just going to flag a couple to you. Uh, they're actually, they're companion volumes, really. One's called Reset and one's called Refresh. Uh, they're by uh, a guy called David Murray. Uh, the Refresh book is actually by his wife, uh, and himself as well. Uh, and the reason that they've written two volumes is that they actually wanted to target one towards men, uh, men who are at work, men who are busy, uh, and then one towards women with the kind of different demands and calls upon their time. I reckon out of all the books, these are kind of just good starting points because they're practical, they're helpful, kind of runs through, through a whole different set of stations as to what it might look like to actually refresh yourself, to refresh your soul. And, and so the whole uh, title there is Living a grace life in a burnout culture and embracing a grace-paced life in a world of endless demand. So uh, there are a couple of books that are there on our bookstore. Now, the way this is going to work is that there is a sale on at Kurong right now. And so uh, we're saying that, hey, if you want to grab one of these books, come over to our bookstore. You can go and check them out for yourself. But we can get them right now for 25% off. Hey, how good is that? 25% off. Save a few bucks as well as growing yourself and, and learning what it means to live that grace-paced life. Uh, so head over to the books and grab some of those afterwards because um, they'll be great. Uh, if you want to find out more about the books, I say check out that URL. And make sure you get your order in either today or tomorrow to get that 25% discount off. Uh, but hey, the other thing that I'm actually really excited about is that we wanted to podcast our way through this series as well. 
Now, um, I'm really excited about this. I personally actually listen to a lot of podcasts, and the reason we thought we'd podcast um, through this series is that often on a Sunday talk, we don't get to really, to really grind out all the nitty-gritty of the practicals of what does it actually mean to live a more restful life. So uh, if you want to tune into that, we've got a whole, uh, we're going to have a whole series of these. We're going to tackle like real practical topics, like things like rest for your body, uh, rest and your work, rest and your family life, rest and your digital life. Now, all those sort of things are practical things that we probably don't have time to tease out fully on a Sunday, but we're going to podcast and we're going to get some uh, really good guests on for that as well. So you can check that out there, up there, uh, cpchurch.com slash podcast. You can See that on YouTube, Spotify, App Podcasts, um, whatever way that you get your podcast. So, hey, there's just a couple of exciting things I thought I'd mention this morning because um, I reckon, hey, church, because it's so relevant for us, let's jump in and go deeply into this topic of rest. All right. Well, hey, look, let me tell you a little bit about my journey with rest. Uh, you've probably talked to each other a little bit about your own journeys with rest. Uh, and, uh, and rest for me is a massive challenge, as it probably is for you as well. Now, the thing is, I think I know what I need to be rested, right? I think I know. I think that I would love to have more time outdoors, more time playing sport, going for bushwalks, picnics out in the park. Uh, I think I would love more time to enjoy some good TV. You know, I'm someone who kind of loves getting into uh, these new TV series, and I reckon we're sort of in the golden age of television, really, uh, with all these streaming services. There's so many things that you could be watching, and yet, I don't know about you, I often find it very hard to justify sitting down and just enjoying a show when there's housework to do, when there's work to do, when there's kids and and other needs calling out for your your time. I find it hard to justify that. And to be honest, just the demands of having young kids around at home, it's constant. You know, I constantly find myself doing lots of the things that they want to do and the lots of things that they need and very little time doing the things that I think that I need to re-energise and to rest. You know, it's funny because we actually had a holiday recently. We recently had a holiday and you ever had that feeling when you got back from holidays and you went, man, I'm tired? Man, I'm exhausted. I think I might be more tired after my holiday than what I was pre-holidays. And it was funny because I was flicking back through the, the photos recently. I kind of went, you know what, if I was Instagramming these out, you'd think that we'd have the best holiday ever. But when I was tracing it through, I was like, oh, here's a nice photo, having some ice cream with the kids. The real story behind it is that we had to go get ice cream because at dinner... The kids were so tired and just so over it that they were absolutely whinging uh, and annoying people around us and we had had to take them from the restaurant somewhere else so that Bonnie could actually enjoy her meal and chat to her family who was visiting us from Sydney. Got this other photo of me kind of reading the book at South Bank by the river, having a good time. Man, it got interrupted about five times. I reckon I got about five pages read. I reckon even just my attention span wasn't able to kind of have a nice leisurely read through a good book. You see, that's life for me now, I feel like. It's uh, marriage, parenthood. Uh, Sometimes life just gets in the way of finding those real nice restful moments. And so when we start talking about rest... You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like 
man, that's a nice pipe dream. <laughs> that is a nice pipe dream. But I don't know how on earth am I ever going to find the time to do those things that I need to do to rest. In fact, I often find myself dreaming, kind of almost setting my mind back to my days as a young adult. You know, lots of leisure time, time to spend with friends, time to go for runs along the oceans. But if I'm honest, and for those young adults out there, I know that actually you've got things too, don't you? The stress of the next assignment, the stress of the next exams. You know, I, I remember using a lot of my extra leisure time on low-quality rest things like too many video games. Rest is hard. It's often fleeting when we find it. Now, church, I'll tell you the good news, though. The good news is that the Bible understands our situation. God understands that. In fact, he, it, the Word even gives us an explanation for it. And so what we're going to do, actually, this morning, we're going to spend some time understanding why rest is so hard. Why rest is so hard, Okay. See, we've just actually read something of the, the, the next chapter in the story of the Bible, and I think it gives us a good reason for our restlessness in our world. You see, last week, Iggy showed us how the end point of creation is, is God just delightfully satisfied at rest with his creation. Right? So that's the picture of ultimate rest, God resting in loving relationship with his people, with his, the people that he made, a picture of paradise, but like you mentioned last week, we know that that's not the world that we live in today. And the world as we live in it today has, actually has a whole bunch of explanations for why we're so busy and why we're so restless. But Scripture gives us a deeper reason. It goes back further. It goes back right to our very first ancestors. You see, the Bible, if the Bible's right, we were designed to live in that paradise of rest together with God, with Him ruling over creation well, I think it explains our yearning for rest, my, my desire to just want to have that rest. But then it goes on to explain why we don't have that rest. See, Jerry read out the, the story for us. A picture of paradise gets broken by Adam and Eve's disobedience. We saw that as a consequence, they are kicked out of the garden. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. When he said that he would look after them, they had to go and take from that tree the one which they were not supposed to. That's probably a well-known story if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, actually, it's worth going back and reading through those first three chapters to really get a full grasp on it and to just go, well, does, does this in some way explain the world as we see it? See, God kicks them out of paradise, but then he pronounces three curses Three curses upon our world. So we're going to actually read those. So come to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. Uh, grab your Bibles back out, find whatever it is that you have been following along with. Uh, go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And we're going to read those out again because just pay attention to the curses that have been unleashed upon the world. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this curse that you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. 
To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see, according to the story of Scripture, our life in the world is going to be characterised with difficulty. The work of rearing children, right? And I take it that he's not just referring literally to labour, but actually the whole childbearing process. It's the toil of working the land. See, I actually think in so many ways it does explain life as I see it, the things that are taxing, the things that cause me to feel tired and exhausted. You know, right now we've been trying to train our four-year-old just to stay in bed for the night. And to not need us to kind of sit with her and stay with her all night. We kind of wipes out your entire evening. And that she'd actually stay in, night, stay in bed so that we wouldn't be waking up halfway through the night having to try and settle her back down. She loves arguing. We used to call her our three-nager. Now she's four. We've got to find a new word for her, right? The ferocious four-year-old or something. She, you know, with pain, she came into the world. And with pain, we continue to nurture her. Now, don't get me wrong, I love our kids, and as, but as every parent knows, there's an enormous amount of hard work and anxiety, emotional turmoil as you try to raise and look after these young ones. But then look at work as well. Look at work. The world, the creation is frustrated. Now, I take it again, he's not literally just talking about farmers tilling the land and trying to grow crops. I'll take his thinking that all work is frustrating. No work is perfect. You know, people say, oh, you know, just find, find a hobby and do that for your work and you'll never work a day like... The truth is every single job becomes a chore after a while, doesn't it? Every job has its demands. Every job's always demanding more of us than we can possibly give. The hospital roster demands more and more and more because, well... The truth is, no public health system will ever reverse the, the rot of our bodies, the curse of sickness and death. Your boss in your workplace might want more and more and more, pushing you to work harder and harder for less and less pay. Why? Because it's hard to pull a profit. If it was easy, then we wouldn't be working so hard. See, there will always be more laundry, more meals to cook, more rooms to clean, lawns to mow, cars to service, budgets to balance, bills to pay. And I could go on and on, but you probably feel tired just for me talking about it. See, the world is a broken place. Our work and our toil is difficult and it happens by the, spread of, the sweat of our brow. See, in the garden, everything was a delight. Even the work that they were given to do was a delight. So you see, one of the explanations that Scripture gives us is that rest is hard because well, we're living in a broken and fallen, a, a cursed world. So you can't escape it. So you could even try to go and spend all of your time on all the leisure activities you can think of and you still wouldn't be satisfied. Right? Check out this passage from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Because this is, Ecclesiastes is a very ancient bit of uh, wisdom, literature, and yet... I'll tell you what, it could totally have been written today. Totally have been written. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. 
Here's what the uh, teacher says there in Ecclesiastes. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. It's kind of bleak, isn't it? Like, the whole of the book of Ecclesiastes is a bit like that. He goes and explores all the different avenues of learning and wisdom, pleasure, building houses, all the, the great Australian dream kind of things that we might want today. And he says, well, in the end, after all is said and done, it's, it's kind of meaningless, kind of pointless. You get to the end of it and have I actually advanced or found any meaningful satisfaction out of that? No, he says, no. And you might be going, well, hang on. I mean, I reckon if I was in that position, I think I might get at least a little bit of happiness. You know the evidence against that? The evidence against that is just, it's, it's the whole depressed celebrity thing, right? Right, those who have it all, fame, fortune, recognition. What have we seen of our celebrity culture, our celebrity loving culture? We see that those at the very top are sad, depressed, in a spiral of drugs and suicide. That's what we've seen happen to those who have all that, like this teacher in Ecclesiastes had. She's surely of all people, they would be the ones to sit back and be satisfied at their millions and their mansions and their movies, their recognition. And yet, again and again and again, we're seeing just, the, just a, a line of celebrities walking away, kind of going... Well, it's, it's kind of a bit sad and depressing when you get to the top and you find nothing's there. You see, the testimony of Scripture really is there, isn't it? Our work is frustrating. Our family life is full of difficulties and challenges. Even our leisure is fleeting. You see, you can't rest because you live in a cursed and fallen world. And again, friends, that might be, feel a little depressing, but there is something about the reality of facing that. In fact, to, to put it that, I think Genesis 3 and Ecclesiastes makes an even more definitive point here, okay? Here it is. A world separated from God will never be at rest. Let me say that again. A world separated from God will never be at rest. Now, let's say... 
You probably weren't hoping to come to church to hear something so pessimistic and depressing. And you might even say, well, you know, my life probably isn't quite that bad. And there is something still of goodness in creation that God's, God's left there. So it's not all bad. But I think we can all agree that actually all our fleeting moments of satisfaction with our work, with our family life, the things that are supposed to make us happy, well, they've got some real good moments, but they're also toilsome and difficult and painful. But, you know, I reckon there's a dose of realism that the Bible brings, not to kind of make us feel bad or sad, but actually it's to point, to point us back to the one place which we can seek real rest. You see, if the world can never be at rest because it's separated from God, well, maybe all of those frustrations, all those moments that you have are actually supposed to to draw you back to God, to draw you out from yourself, to draw you away from the promises of our world, to saying, well, actually, there is only one place that we can return to find that rest. You see, we were supposed to live in God's rest. That's why we feel that yearning for rest and peace and satisfaction and contentment, but we don't find it in this world. See, it's supposed to draw out our hearts and eyes back to God. It's meant to draw us to call out to our God. See, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes from his book, Mere Christianity, he said this, said this, if we find in ourselves, a de- with a, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Do you get it? See, our yearning points us to the fact that we were made for something different. And the promise of Scripture, the hope of Scripture, is that you can still find that rest. Now, we're going to get onto that and what that looks like and what that means um, through this whole series. But I want you to just take that thought for a moment. And just take that that moment to think about, well, dwell on the fact that maybe, maybe all the frustration, all the difficulties of your life, all that lack of rest is there to point you back to God. And so when you're frustrated, uh, when your toddler is uh, chucking a massive tantrum, when you're bored at work or or, or you just feel like you don't have enough time to get everything done, remember that this is not your home. Don't set your hope on finding it here. No, no, God is calling us to a better place. Keep that in mind. Now, there is one more thing that we've got to draw from these couple of passages here uh, early in the Bible. Okay, so there's an external environment world that we live in that is frustrated, that is cursed, that is restless, trying to do life without God. But there's one other factor that we actually need to consider here. It's not just that the world around us is fallen and broken. It's that our our very hearts themselves are corrupted and fallen. See, in that original act of sin, there was a desire in Adam and Eve to take something that wasn't theirs to take, disobeying God, choosing what to do life their own way. See, Paul the Apostle put it like this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they never glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. See, what Paul's saying is that not only is the world around us corrupt and broken, but our actual hearts turn, continue, just like Adam and Eve, we all continue to repeat the sins of our ancestors by turning away from the immortal, invisible God and turning to idols instead. That we would want to try and grasp and, and take hold of things in this creation and set them as our God. And set them as a source of our rest or as our, or our contentment or our satisfaction. And you see, that's a really important point. A really important point. You see, if you want to find rest, well, we've got to also deal with the, the, the problem of our hearts. Our hearts going to seek rest out there on, on our idols. You see, I think we need to deal with the idols of our hearts. Otherwise, the probability of you making any significant change in your life is minimal, I think. You see, I can go on and on. We can preach lots of sermons. We can do podcasts, books, whatever it is. But we've got to face up to the facts that actually our hearts are also the very thing that keeps us enslaved to our busyness. To put it this way, we will never find rest so long as our hearts cling to our idols. Now, Tim Chester's got a great little book, The Busy Christian Guide to Business, and it's actually there on the bookstore as well if you want to check it out. Uh, he actually really spends some time unpacking the idols behind our busyness. So just have a listen to these and, 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 and just ask yourself, is this you? Okay? So he's got a whole list of them, okay? He says, I'm busy because I need to prove myself. Right? See how many of us are driven hard by some deep need to prove our worthiness? Maybe it's something external. I need to prove my worthiness to my parents. Uh, maybe I need to prove my worthiness to the world that people would recognize and respect me and prove my worthiness to myself. And we drive ourselves harder and harder to kind of meet a particular standard of success. Right? And I know it's a stereotype, but did you ever kind of grow up kind of feeling like 90% was just never good enough? And that the 10% that you didn't get was always the, the, the problem? I'm busy because of other people's expectations. We live under the fear of letting others down. We live under the fear of what others might think of us. We do the extra time out of fear, maybe of your boss. You know, I'm told that the golden rule of working life in Singapore is that you never leave work before your boss. Do you kind of feel like that sometimes? You kind of feel like, well, boss is working 16 hours a day. I guess I better put in the extra hours for that. Maybe you feel like you're drawn out because, man, the kids, they just have more needs than I can possibly meet. And we feel ourselves drained and dry because, well, we're trying to meet others' expectations. Okay, I'm busy because otherwise things get out of control. All right, I feel neat. I've got to be on top of everything. You know, I wish I had extra days in the week so I could get all the housework done. I could finish all the projects at work. See, we kind of live, we want to be like God. We wish we were omnipotent people with the power to get everything done. Right? I'm busy because I prefer being under pressure. Right? Maybe lots of us have been procrastinating, doing lots of um, uh, you know, meaningless tasks or too much time on social media, on Netflix, and then, man, we've, then we always feel the pressure to drive, grind, to meet those deadlines. And, and so we're kind of constantly living under a state of pressure. 
I'm busy because I need the money. Time is money. So well, I want to make sure I maximize as much as I make, can make and, and work as hard as I can. You know, I remember early on in my working career, uh, people used to take these weekend shifts because, you know, they would pay time and a half or double time and then you kind of just start doing numbers. Oh, if I just work this Sunday, man, that's X amount of, num- of, of money. That's awesome. I'm going to take that shift. And then you start getting paid more and more and as you go further up the ladder, you start going, well, now my hourly rate is, is this much now. Man, I'm going to miss out on that. I'm going to keep pushing harder. And so you don't work, you don't earn more and feel more satisfied and, and take more rest. Actually, the further up the ladder you get, what do you do? You get busier, don't you? You get busier, you're on the roster more, you have more responsibilities. We take bigger and bigger mortgages, feeling like, well, maybe the gadgets and the luxury items, uh, maybe if we work harder and can gain hold of those things that that will give us that meaning and that rest in our lives. Last one, I'm busy because I want to make the most out of life. I live hard, I play hard kind of mentality. You know, the world's so full of possibilities. So for those who can enjoy them, well, we've got to go and maximise that to the extent that we can. We're a bit like the teacher in Ecclesiastes. We want to fill our hearts, fill our life with leisure and holidays. As the Xbox advert says, life is short, play more. But the good news, church, is that each of these hearts' desires, each of these idols, can be better satisfied in God than they can by all of our idols. You see, what idols do is that they drain you out. Because they're idols, they're not God. They eventually will drain the life out of you, leaving you tired, restless, overwhelmed. But friends, into our world, into our fallen, broken world, into our overburdened, overwhelmed lives, Jesus enters and he comes and he invites you and I to find our rest in him. Here's a verse we're going to keep coming back to this, this series. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, I said earlier, the path from our busy, anxious, overwhelmed lives will ultimately be found in Christ. As we smash those idols, as we find actually those deep desires are met in Christ. You see, instead of the burden of needing to prove ourselves, he calls us his sons and his daughters. Instead of the burden of needing to prove ourselves all the time, he takes the burden upon himself, the demands of the law, the demands of others, the shame. He nails it to the cross. Instead of the burden of keeping our lives under control, he offers the sovereignty of God over every aspect of our lives. Instead of the burden to try and have to make the most of our short lives, he offers the hope of eternity and a new heavens and a new earth. You see, so many of us have this mentality that maybe we're missing out on life because, well, we're still single. We're in a dead-end job. We flunk some exams. Our marriage is a bit messed up. We're, 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 we're so unfit. We don't have the dream home. But he promises that a better world is coming for his children. 
And so you don't need to rush around having every experience under the belt. You don't need to realize your potential. You just need to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, dear friends, as we do tackle this issue of rest, I'm inviting us to go deeper, deeper to the levels of our hearts, our motivations, our desires, the little messages that we tell ourselves that keep driving us into more and more business and more overwork. It's time to unload our burdens, to unload our sin, unload our desires, our hopes onto the one person who can fulfill them. And his name is Christ. You see, I think repentance and restoration has to come before rest. You know, we said a a world separated from God will never find rest. Well, it's actually as we find our reconciliation in Christ, that as we start to turn from our idols, that actually now rest is possible. You see, this series is going to actually ask us to do some hard things. And it's going to ask us, actually, to trust Jesus. You're not going to get very far without that repentance, without that faith, without that trust in Jesus. You see, when God asks you to put down that phone and to give up the little micro-pleasures of the quick social media hit, he's asking you to do that for the sake of deep relationship with Christ. When God asks you to slow down and spend more time with him, he's saying, put down the Netflix and the TV shows in order to absorb yourself in God's story and and, and your place in his story. See, when God asks you to maybe consider earning less, working less, maybe even changing career, he's saying, trust me. Just as the sparrows and the lilies of the field are clothed, so I will look after you. Will you trust him? When God asks you to consider asking for help because maybe in your own pride you don't want anyone to come and help you with because surely you're meant to be a capable mum or dad. God says, you are no less valuable in my eyes. You see, church, in a moment we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a moment to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us. And in it, we, do, we bring our sin and our struggles. And we accept his body and his blood given for us. You see, right there in that moment, we are taking a moment to rest. To rest in Christ. You see, maybe there is something that you need to confess right now. There's a, there is a, a, a driving, motivating idol that's in your heart that is enslaving you to your busyness and your overwork. Maybe that's keeping you from finding true rest in Christ. I'm actually going to invite the musos up and we're going to take a moment to actually reflect, to reflect on these words, this promise of Jesus, and also just to reflect on our own hearts, our own hearts' idols. And then after that, we're going to pray a prayer of confession together and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But I actually thought, you know what? This is one of those moments we just need to take a moment to stop and reflect. So I'm going to invite Sam up and we'll do that right now. We'll take a couple of moments for that.
Thank you.